Welcome to Tell Me More. Dr. Wiles is back. We have Dr. Wiles back with us in the studio, but unfortunately, Katie is not with us today. So we hope that you will still enjoy this podcast and we look forward to the conversation to come. Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm Luke Stair. Dr. Wiles is back, but <laughs> Katie Reed Hodges is not here today. It's sad, <laughs> sad. It's up and down. I know it. I know. But, you know, when you have three little babies, the, Life like, happens. the likelihood of any one of them being sick at any one time, it is what it is. <clears throat> so, but. We're here. We are glad to be Welcome here. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be back. It's good and, to have uh, you. So this past Sunday, Luke, you were you were the preacher. Death has lost its sting. You you last year you got to preach on judgment. This year, death. So um, I was I was proud of you for taking them both on. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, you know, maybe next year it'll be joy. We'll see. <laughs> so how'd you feel about it Sunday? What do you think? <clears throat> you know, it's a uh, it's an interesting thing to preach because you know. That there's a lot of weight mm-hmm. to the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anyone who was part of the classical service felt that weight pretty much right off the bat. Right. Uh, that was a just a powerful service. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched the I entire did. stream. I did. Um, if you were in the contemporary service, I would encourage you actually just go and watch, watch it. It was powerful. The worship portion of the classical. Yes. Um, so good. Because it just <clears throat> the spirit was moving. Mm-hmm. So you, there's just a weight when you talk about death. Um, and Dr. Wade. Share a few words. I didn't know, even need to and, preach yeah, in the he, classical he, service. He gave a message at the offertory and did a wonderful job, as always. And Kurt Grice was truly touched by the Spirit of God that morning. And so you you were set up I for was. a sermon. <clears throat> I really was. Mm-hmm. Um, so just working through it, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's always personal, and you know that death is a personal thing mm-hmm. for everybody mm-hmm. in either of those services. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just kind of balancing the weight of how you navigate a heavy topic, but a joyful topic. Yes. This text, though, um, is such a powerful text that, as you pointed out, you know, it's still real, and we have to face it and deal with the reality of death. But the sting of death <clears throat> has been removed for Christians. Mm-hmm. The eternal sting of death has been removed for Christians. And it's still painful. and um you know, obviously the loss that people feel. <clears throat> I mean, here in another couple of weeks, whenever it is the last Sunday of August, we'll have our um, service of remembrance right. where we will honor the people in our church that have died in the past year. So it still be very tender, very real to our people. But it's tinged with hope. That's that's the thing about death to me as Christians. We don't die like everybody else. You know? No, it's a pivotal difference. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the chapter. Uh I think context-wise, if you haven't read through 1 Corinthians in a while, they had started to deny resurrection. And mm-hmm. so the whole kind of point thrust of t- chapter 15 for Paul is, if you're denying this, and mm-hmm. what even do you believe in? Mm-hmm. Um, 
isn't it interesting? It took him 15 pages to get to it. You know, I'm thinking, were I writing a letter to the church at Corinth and I've been told they don't believe in the resurrection any longer, that would have been page one to me. And he spends all this time on unity and relationships and understanding how to care for each other and deal with the brokenness order of and worship or order in their worship. Yeah. And finally you get to the next to the last page and he says, now <laughs> the resurrection. And then he says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, your faith is in vain. And I'm thinking, man, it took, and you're a, still it took a long time sin. to get to this. <laughs> I think it shows though, the, how much Paul believed in relationship and relational health in the church, mm. you know, and because yes. there, it was so challenging because it was the one place where everybody came together from all walks of life. You know, if you think about it, it was it was one bright spot in the ancient world. But the core teaching of the resurrection, though, it is the heart of of who of of our faith as Christians. You know, I thought you did a good job well, putting that you. out, <clears throat> and um, so I thought it was a really good sermon. I liked the the um, just the personal way that you dealt with it and just walked us through the text, you know, cause it's, it's one of those texts that you almost like, you almost need to break it apart a little bit, you know, to, to catch the import of the whole thing. And then you get to the end and then he says, now stay busy, you know, keep working. You got work to do. Yeah, don't, don't give up. <clears throat> Your work's not in vain. Yeah. And, um, and so um, I love that though, that, that, that when we have that conversation about it, that if the Lord tarries, <clears throat> well, there's work for all of us to do, and we don't need to grow weary in it. Um, God's paying attention, you know. Yeah, and there's plenty of good work to do. So. There is. And so <clears throat> to bring this whole conversation about eternity to a close, you know, that's really what you did for us. I think about what all we've done, and and the core teaching of John three sixteen, you know, just that it, we really do believe that God is a God of love. Mm-hmm. And that he does love us so much that he has intervened into our dilemma by giving his son. And if you believe in him, then you won't perish. You'll have everlasting life. I mean, we've had people from traveling all over, you know, yeah. uh, taking their photos with the John three sixteen sign. In fact, this coming Sunday morning, in the sermon Sunday morning, we're going to show a little video collage of of our oh, people, that's gonna be fun. you know, just from where all they've been this summer and um, using John 3, 16. Uh, and I know it's a very familiar passage, but it really is the heart of what this whole summer has been about. And, um, you know, just the, the, the contrast between our God mm-hmm. and other options, you know? Right. When you think about that simple statement to me, sets the Christian God apart from the rest of the world religions, I would say. Oh, it's a vast, it's a vast difference. Uh, just the hope that it brings and the fact that it's not up to us. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> we, I was listening to, and we were both listening to our classic worship minister, Aaron Toms, talking mm-hmm. at staff meeting about some of the work that he had done with the youth choir and Amarillo and just dialoguing with Muslims in that area and having conversations and, just listening to him talk about how this key difference is God, yes, is going to judge us. Um, but ultimately, God loves us and is out to redeem us. And just hearing him work through that and having had these conversations um, with someone of a different religion is a powerful testimony. And who actually, one of the men Aaron was talking to, was actually sharing his 
faith with Aaron in hopes that if he could lead Aaron he could lead to convert, him. then that would the whole team would follow Aaron. And uh and so it was really challenging to Aaron, you know, that he was uh, and he was doing what we've been talking about this whole year, giving a defense mm-hmm. of the Christian faith. And Aaron's decision to use John three sixteen to be the message that he shared uh, with this Muslim family and, and Muslim believer, <clears throat> Islamic believer, I mean. Um, and so it was. It just reminded me as I was listening to Aaron again the power of that of the teaching of that text, and um and so it it really matters to truly understand not just memorize these verses but understand what they really teach us. You know. Yeah, and I think this entire series, and I think this is the goal you started with, and I hope I ended there. It's we need to understand eternity. That's I think we never have doubted that we need to understand what we're talking about, but it's very important for us to be able to actually articulate these mm-hmm. beliefs, mm-hmm. but not just say them in a way that makes sense within the walls of our church, but right. to say these things so that when you bump into your Muslim neighbor, which odds are high in Arlington that you mm-hmm. do that, uh, or when you bump into your just non-believing or person who's left church behind neighbor, you can actually talk about this in a way that makes sense in context, um, that you're not just relying on church words uh, but you've defined them, you've thought about what they meant, so you can say them in a way that makes sense to someone who has never had church words as part of their life. Right. And I thought Sunday morning you did a good job of helping our folks think about the concept of sin, you know, the way you talked about how Augustine has influenced your understanding of sin, you know, and that it's not because when typically when we talk about sin, we usually talk about it in the context of you've broken God's law and, you know, there's God's expectation. You have fallen short. And it it has a— I think that's true. It is true, but it has a tone to it. There's another way to say it that says the very same thing. And um, I thought maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit today, just this whole idea of you're, you've got your loves out of order, as you put it, you know? Yeah. And so— <clears throat> And even just talking to people today, I'm thinking about it more— um, you know, when we are defining church words, it's important for us to, and I, I'm going to quote Mark Twain, and I'm going to quote him slant. So, <laughs> But Mark Twain has this famous quote of tell the truth, but tell it slant. Yeah. And I don't think we're trying to slant right. the truth here, right. but really it's figure out another way to say this. If, you know, the words you're using are almost like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Think about the meaning that you're trying to get at and then try to find different words to use that, mm-hmm. which is kind of what I was trying to do mm-hmm. with providing this definition of sin and kind of expressing the problem. You take this word into a non-Christian setting. If someone knows what the word means because they have some church experience, and remember that the people we're dealing with in the world, they may have heard sin language before on TV, but it's probably from a Catholic bias and a poorly represented Catholic bias at that. Typically, So sin carries a lot of baggage just linguistically in our culture because of how Catholicism gets presented on television. I mean, just think about that. So when you walk into a situation with someone who didn't grow up in church, the only church language they know, they probably heard from a bad representation of a priest on some crime drama. Right. (laughs) And there you have it. So you've got to explain it in a way that makes sense. And so that's why I appreciate what David Brooks has done by kind of following Augustine's line of, Sin is just love out of order. 
Um, which the more you think about it, when I think about explaining that to people and when I have explained that to non-Christians, I think that's something everyone can latch on to. So I sin when I love the wrong thing, when I love things more than I should love them. So like if I love, this is would be an obvious and it's a hypothetical. If I loved another woman more than I loved my wife, that's just very obviously sin. Right. Um, that's an obvious no-brainer. Um, but if I love money more than I love a person, that's greed. Um, if I love myself more than I love my neighbor, I've got love in the wrong order. And so scripture teaches we love God first, foremost. He deserves all the love. Um, we love him with all our hearts, soul, minds, and strength. And then we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so there's kind of a natural order for love in scripture. And so then I think from there, the movie that you make is one of the things Jesus does when he comes and dies for us and rises for us is he comes to put love back in the right order in our lives. And so if we were going to apply that on into the rest of eternity, heaven is a place where everyone has love in the right order all of the time, which means we're not hurting each other anymore. Because if you love the way you should, no one's ever getting hurt. Right. And then hell is a place where everyone has love out of order all of the time. I think here on earth, sometimes we get our love in the right order. But most of the time, we get some stuff wrong. Uh, and because of that, we die. So, And I think that way you explained that Sunday morning, I think resonated with a lot of people because they want to talk about sin because you know you have to. You know, when the Bible says everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, well, we know what that's that true. But what does that mean? Yeah, we know we know it's true as Christians. But to try to explain that to people who aren't necessarily conversant with our vocabulary, even though they have the words, the terms, they may not know exactly what we mean by them. Mm-hmm. And the way you put that Sunday, I thought was very helpful. And because I think you can identify with, you know, my desire, the, the illustration you used about gossiping, you know, but because you wanted to be, you love being popular better than love keeping a confidence with a friend, you know? Right. And so, well, you know, you, when you put it in that kind of language, that's somewhat disarming because most people will hear this. It's not like you're saying, you know, you're a sinner, you're probably guilty of adultery, and we all know it, and God's going to catch you one day, and you're going to be judged, you know, as opposed to, well, you know, maybe you might have loved this more than that, and and you know that's not right. Most people are going to identify with that and go, yeah, I'm a There's sinner. There's an intuitive grasp I'm, I'm a sinner. to this. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. uh, but then, of course, that leads to, well, it's much deeper than that. That's just an illustration. <clears throat> but the sin is so pervasive and so encompassing. Look at our world. Look, look at where we are today. Look at how broken this yeah. world is and can be. And that's where Jesus comes in to make things right and to set this world right. And it came at a great cost, his death. It did. So, and, but 1 Corinthians 15, the story doesn't end with death. I mean, <clears throat> we're resurrected. Praise God. Yeah. And so, you know, um, um, when you, when you think about um, how do we, how would, how do we as Christians bring that into our own lives? Well, it is that acknowledgement, you know, that we're sinners but Eugene Peterson has that book, Practice Resurrection, you know, where he mm-hmm. basically says, here's what the church is. It's a group of people who are practicing resurrection because we've experienced the reality of it. But it's just a taste because we know we're still going to have to deal with 
physical death ourselves, but we've already tasted the reality of sinful death mm-hmm. and this whole idea of spiritual death and that we've been delivered from that as believers and we've already tasted the resurrection power of Christ and now we're practicing it and how's it supposed to look. And uh, he uses the book of Ephesians kind of as a guide mm. to just look at how you are supposed to live. The, what does the resurrected life look like? Well, you, you read some of the practical applications in Ephesians, you know, about how you treat each other and uh, how you respond to each other, how you how you deal with people in your own family, you know, how you uh, how you relate even to the forces of of evil and darkness in your own life. Well, all of this is practicing resurrection. I love that imagery, you know, and. So I was thinking about that while you were preaching, Sonny. We were driving mm. to Dallas while we were listening to your sermon, and uh, and I thought, you know, um, Luke is unpacking um, <clears throat> kind of what I've I've been studying some while I've been away. Obviously, I'm going to study leave, and um, but that's one of the books that I've read through while I've been away is Practice Resurrection, and um, <clears throat> because I love that imagery, you know, um, from Peterson. Yeah. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful phrase. It also mm-hmm. occurs in a Wendell Berry poem. I thought yeah. about getting into it, right. but mm-hmm. it's where he time. gets it from, you know. That's what I figured. Uh-huh. It is where he brought it from. And um, <clears throat> he's prone to do that, you know, his Christ plays in a thousand places and practice resurrection till it's slant. You know, he likes to pull these phrases from from literary um um you know works and then help us apply them and think about how you can do those as uh, uh with your with what he calls spiritual theology, which I think it's quite fascinating, and mm-hmm. uh, but it's theology with an eternal perspective, you know, yeah. that's living and practical. And so, to him, conversation about resurrection should be a practical conversation. Absolutely, you know. And so, I was thinking about that while you were preaching Sunday. And there's you know? so there's so much rich stuff to get into. I think when you start talking about you know the formal theological language for this would be eschatology. It's a study of last things. Mm-hmm. There's so much rich depth there, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes we get tripped up and when we start talking about last things it's just okay well what's the millennium and when's the rapture going to happen time time, um, uh, schedule right but it's so much richer and more beautiful than I think that narrow slice of it really is and Mm -hmm. I thought about but didn't get to obviously and so now I'm telling you more Uh, (laughs) tell us more (laughs) if I were going to be a really nerdy theologian on Sunday morning, I would have talked about a theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, mm-hmm. who wrote a book called Theology of Hope. Mm-hmm. And he has this, it's a really beautiful premise that ultimately it's the hope we have in the future. And that hope is ultimately the most primal kind of first thing in our life that it's, it's pulling us forward. It has a gravity and that hope actually transforms the way you live now, here, today. And it should. And if it doesn't, then do you believe it? Um, that's a very dense book. I'm not going to recommend you pick up Theology of Hope. It it's a very rough translation from the German. Um, but that's what Moltmann's known for, is that whole idea of building a theology around hope, you know, and that, and the resurrection seals that hope for us and it signals that hope for us. And, um, and so it, and it, and it re, if you think about it, totally redirects your orientation as a human being, because we are surrounded by death, and death is so much a part of mm-hmm. our lives. And even though in the modern era, we've made death a little more antiseptic in some ways, you know, now you usually die um, in in a confined, medically um, cared for space, you know, where you've, you're usually surrounded by mm-hmm. medical professionals. 
you know, the generations prior to us, people died at home. You know, they died on the farm. They died, you know, with their families. And so it was much more part of the warp and wood. Well, your house life. had a parlor, and the purpose of a parlor was— <laughs> To sit up with the dead, yeah, basically. And so you think about, even though we have— placed it where now it happens in a little different context and maybe historically, at least in, in the Western world. But it's still a reality that we all know and we all face and we all have to deal with. And so it's such a topic that's just germane to everybody's life experience. And so as Christians, you know, we have such a different perspective now, you know, that we view death as real. I mean, Paul calls it the enemy the last enemy to be defeated. So it is the enemy. It's a reminder of our brokenness and sinfulness and shame and mm-hmm. and, 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 and the failure in the Garden of Eden that's as old as mankind. For sure it is. And so um, we, we, we hate it in the sense that it, it ends human life as we know it. But as Paul says, it's actually an enemy that has been severely wounded— <laughs> You know, yeah. conquered by Jesus, and ultimately one day will be conquered by all of us. And so, uh, I think it's it's a worthwhile conversation, and I think it needs to be talked about more regularly with all age groups, with all generations. Because I think you're right with with the older generation in our church, the conversation had a little different feel to it. Yes, you know, when when you're seeing folks who who are thinking about it contemplating. Their friends have died, many of them. Their spouses have died. Um, you know, it, it is something that's very much at the forefront of of their reality. Yeah. It's a little more distant to younger generations, but it's no less real. No, it isn't. <laughs> and as a parent who has had to walk two very young children through the death of a grandparent, mm-hmm. I would encourage you, if you have young kids and you're listening— Think about how you talk about death mm-hmm. before you have to talk about right. death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about it. It's mm-hmm. we don't as Christians, we don't think we have to talk about death in hushed tones. Right. It's mm-hmm. not something to be scared of. That's right. Um, it's not something we're trying to cheat, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But talk about it with your kids before it comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, don't let kind of circumstances force your hand. Mm-hmm. But I think there are natural ways to do that that are age appropriate and mm-hmm. You know, our, we have routine conversations with our, sorry, Kelsey just told me a funny story last night about one of our girls that I happened on Sunday as they were driving. But, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how their granddad has a new body. Um, he lives with Jesus. Um, so that's just something that's part and parcel of our yeah. vocabulary. Um, you know, it's, we talk about it. They talk about their granddad and. Mm-hmm where he is and mm-hmm. why he's not with us. And we talk about the fact that he's not sick anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about it before you have to talk about it, but you can use simple phrases that still point to truth. Mm-hmm. And that's when we die, we love Jesus. We'll get a new body mm-hmm. and that body can't get hurt ever again. Right. And a kid can. Yeah, they, they, they can understand those concrete kinds of examples, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that's a, the beautiful thing is we don't have to make it all up. I mean, it. No, I mean it's real. You it know? is, and we know death is real, but re- resurrection is real. That's why I love the fact that Paul felt led to give such a lengthy analysis of resurrection in First Corinthians fifteen. That's why, to me, that page is such an important page in our Bibles. That 
because um, <clears throat> Paul basically says, if you don't believe this, well, then you basically have pulled the heart out of Christianity, and your your faith's in vain. You're still in your sin. You know, we don't have any hope. But the good news is, you know, this this mortal's going to put on immortality. This this corruptible's going to put on the incorruptible. This I mean, seed sown perishable. Yeah, will be raised imperishable. I mean, I love that imagery from Paul. And it's it's powerful. And the fact that he connects it eschatologically to where, you know, we 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 may not all die, but we definitely will all be transformed and changed, as he says. And so uh it 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 reframes our our understanding of both life and death. So why that's why eternity matters. I mean, we've <laughs> we've asked that question, eternity, why does it matter? Well, it just changes everything and it changes I think your everyday life, the fact that we believe the eternal is actually connected to what we're doing every day. You know, we had this interesting Bible study today with Jacob, mm-hmm. you know, where he's in this Genesis 30 and 31, where he's in this negotiating his release from Laban, from his father-in-law, and um, the deal that he makes with Laban, you know, that, okay, I'm going to take this flock and I'll take all the speckled sheep and dark goats and all that you have the ones that kind of what we would probably say, quote unquote, look normal, kind of a play on words of the name Laban in Hebrew, which I think means white. But mm-hmm. anyway, and then when once the agreement is struck, well, then um, Laban takes all the male goats that are all speckled or dark or whatever and has them removed from the herd. So Jacob's left with basically nothing. And then Jacob thinks, okay, there's this some, some kind of um, superstition that if you just put these these spots or you know, this have something speckled that's in the gaze of a sheep when they're mating, it'll produce offspring like that. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, but the point is, he believed God so much, though. He knew that God had his hand on him, and he believed God was actually involved in even the production of the right kind of sheep so that he would have what he needed to take care of his family mm-hmm. going forward. So if you'd have, if you'd have gone up to Jacob and said, you know, God didn't really have anything to do with I mean, with your herd, I think he would look at you like you have two heads. What do you mean God does anything to do with my herd? My herd is my livelihood. This is this is the future of my family. Of course that God has something to do with it. Well, you know, that's the point of living in this era, thinking so many people thinking there's nothing eternal about what we do. There's no transcendent nature right. of God present in our everyday life when actually there is. That's, that's mm. Are you going to start believe. talking about that on Sunday? A <laughs> <laughs> uh, little bit of a hint for this coming Sunday. Then uh, we're going to turn toward the supernatural. Yeah. You know, so I'm looking forward to that. We're going to read through the Gospel of John in August in earnest mm. and um, just take in the whole scope of John's Gospel in August and just look at how the role the Holy Spirit plays and the connection that John makes with the supernatural. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm looking forward I to it. I really as well. am. So it's going to be good. Yeah. Well, good job Sunday. Well, my thank you. Thank you. All of y'all have done a great job. I've heard, I've watched all of the sermons and uh, I've heard from numerous church members as I told some folks today, we have a deep bench. That's what Katie likes to say here at First Baptist Arlington. Mm. And I would agree. We do. So we anyway, do. Job well done. Thanks. We're glad you're back. We're looking forward to, to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Me too. So, well, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, and hopefully Katie will be back with us next week. Let's hope so.
Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.